This is Niger, a landlocked country in West Africa which is home to just over 25 million people with amongst the worst levels of human development in the world. In terms of living standards, only neighbouring Chad and South Sudan are measurably worse than the United Nations Human Development Index, and unfortunately, these dire circumstances are only likely to get worse as the country finds itself in the middle of a bitter coup that is threatening to spiral into an all-out regional war with Niger at the centre. This is something that the country cannot afford. War is terrible no matter what, but with a population as vulnerable as Niger's in a region that is already struggling with violent outbreaks and crippling instability, something like this has the potential to set the country back decades. As with a lot of things, one of the best ways to understand the tensions surrounding the developing situation in Niger is to understand the economics of the country. After all, economics is first and foremost the study of how people interact with things of value, and despite the oppressive poverty in Niger, it is abundant in a lot of things that a lot of very powerful institutions around the world value. Sure, the country does have some natural resources, like the world's seventh largest reserves of uranium, which are obviously of keen interest to a lot of countries around the world for one reason or another. But perhaps more importantly than that, Niger is at the centre of some major regional and global issues that have the potential to drastically influence everything from economic prosperity in Northern Africa to cooperation in the EU, global investment ambitions in China, the price that we're all going to pay for electricity, and even the effectiveness of sanctions on Russia put in place as a response to their invasion of Ukraine. Understanding the economics behind an issue this complex can at the very least be a fantastic insight into how one change in such an interconnected global economy can change dozens of other things that on the surface look totally unrelated. So, how do Niger's economic struggles accommodate the coup that has destabilised the entire region? How is this instability impacting major economic powers around the world? And finally, could the fallout of a potential war in Africa undo all of the progress these economies have made in recent decades? Once we've done all of that, we can put Niger, one of the world's poorest countries, on the Economics Explained national leaderboard. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available, and that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. At Economics Explained, we used to pay a lot of money to find a decent candidate, but since using LinkedIn, we've been able to fill our roster with A players without missing a beat. It's just so easy to create a job post that we've been able to get specific and hire some really specialised roles like thumbnail designer, rather than having to pat out a role to make it worth the time and frustration of hiring. And then you can add the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to get extra referrals from your network. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritise who you'd like to interview and hire. Hiring the right people has allowed us to put out more content at a much higher quality than before without having to shell out constantly for headhunters or recruiters. That's part of the reason why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in developing quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com ee. That's linkedin.com ee to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Niger has unfortunately been marred by intense political instability since it became its own nation in the 1960s after claiming independence from being a former French colony. Since then, governments have been deposed and reinstated with an alarming frequency. The current ruling regime, or at least the ruling regime in the process of being removed from power currently, is unofficially called the Seventh Republic, which actually makes it sound better than it really is, because in between the six republics that came before that, there were also four military regimes. The government currently being overthrown has been in power since 2010, and even in that time has dealt with some other attempts to overthrow them, and elections with questionable outcomes. 
Political instability is not the only thing working against the country either. It is landlocked, with its only access to the world's oceans for trade being separated by thousands of kilometres of the world's most challenging terrain. While in absolute terms Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan are technically further away from the world's oceans, they are connected through much better transport infrastructure to major markets like China, and even sit along existing trade routes between Asia and Europe. Niger and neighbouring Chad are the most isolated countries from global trade in the world, because their only connection to the world's oceans, and by extension markets to buy and sell goods, looks like this. The only reprieve the country has is the Niger River, which is mostly navigable by small container ships, but it drains to the Atlantic Ocean through the Niger Delta, which large seaworthy vessels cannot navigate. So anything shipped up and down this river needs to be unloaded, put onto a truck and then reloaded onto another ship before it gets to its end destination. This adds significant costs and delays to moving anything in and out of the country, so even basic imported goods are a massive luxury that end up costing more than they would even in extremely high income advanced economies. It also makes almost any exports impossible, because by the time they go through this extensive shipping process and get to their end destination, it would end up costing more in shipping than the money saved by leveraging the low cost labour force in Niger. The only exports that Niger has been able to successfully commercialise are extremely valuable and cost dense raw materials, like gold and uranium, because even if it costs thousands of dollars to ship these across thousands of miles of desert, it's still profitable when they're worth millions of dollars per tonne. These exports may seem incidental on a global scale, amounting to only 3.7 billion US dollars in total, but they are vitally important to some of the most significant economies in the world at the moment. Niger as an ex-French colony primarily exports its uranium ore to France, a country with the highest adoption of nuclear energy in the world. Niger in total supplies 25% of the EU's total demand for uranium to be used as fuel in nuclear power plants across the continent. At the very same time, these countries are struggling with their energy needs after cutting off Russian oil and natural gas. These countries can find alternatives, despite what may be expected, uranium is actually quite cheap to handle and transport since not much is needed and it's not really as dangerous as people think while it's an unrefined ore. Even still, the coup in Niger also coincided with news that a major uranium mine in Canada would be shut down, so the price for this fuel has shot up, raising more concerns about the energy costs in a market already struggling with energy costs. The challenges to normal trade and international involvement for Niger don't just stop at the pure expense of getting stuff into and out of the country either. The long intricate connection to global markets causes other problems for the country as well. The Niger River is a lifeline, but it terminates in neighbouring Nigeria, which has in recent history maintained strong and amicable relations with Niger, but that relationship has always existed with the understanding that the relatively much more powerful country could cut Niger off from the outside world at any time. This is a power that they are choosing to exercise at this very moment, since Niger, Nigeria and a host of other West African countries are part of a group called ECOWAS, which is an economic and political union kind of like a West African version of the EU. ECOWAS was set up with the intention to promote political stability between member states, and it has suspended membership to countries like Mali, Guinea and Burkina Faso following their own military coups. After the events of last month, with Niger's government been forced out of control, the country was also suspended from membership, which means that the new military government will not be granted trade access through the Niger River, effectively cutting off the one economic lifeline that an already desperately poor country had. Foreign investors that could develop new industries knew of this potential risk, so the fact that Niger was already a politically unstable economy that was at the mercy of another country that itself was not necessarily a bastion of robust democracy to control its one commercially viable trade route, which is still cripplingly expensive and can also be shut down by floods, droughts and natural erosion, was just not a risk worth taking. That's a lot of risks for not a lot in return. 
The country is even abundant in oil, but up until about 10 years ago, no foreign companies even bothered to develop the infrastructure needed to extract it because of the risks that their investments would be seized by a new government and the expense of getting oil out from such an isolated region. We have spoken a lot on this channel about countries that develop an oil industry and then become overly dependent on it at the expense of the rest of the economy. It's a process so common it has its own name, the resource curse or Dutch disease. But it's very rare to find an economy that is in such a desperate situation that it fails to even build an oil industry to exploit the reserves it has just sitting there. That was, up until recently, starting to change though. The country had started pumping a modest amount of oil which was mostly used to fuel local communities that was a fantastic opportunity for the economy. Of course, fossil fuels are not ideal to build an economy off because of the damage they do to the environment. And all other things being equal, it would be better for an economy starting from scratch today to pursue renewables. But that's unfortunately a luxury that a country as poor as Niger can't really afford. The negative externalities are worth it to give such impoverished people access to energy. The correlation between energy consumption and economic output is almost a perfect one-to-one. -one. Giving an economy more energy allows people to light their homes, fuel their cars, transport goods, power construction machinery and run services like healthcare. Niger has historically relied very heavily on Nigeria again to not only be its only access point to global markets, but also to provide it with electricity. The weakness of this system is currently on display as Nigeria is also cutting off electricity to the country in response to the coup, causing cities to go into rolling blackouts. Now in this particular instance that may very well be in service of the greater good, but long term it would be a great benefit to Niger to be energy independent, especially since its fossil fuel reserves make that easily possible. Before this current political instability, the plan was even to expand production and start exporting oil through a pipeline connected through their other neighbour, Chad. This was proposed to move 60,000 barrels of oil a day, providing the country with a huge boost to export revenues, and was going to be funded by yet another global superpower that has become involved in this relatively small economy, China. China's Belt and Road Initiative is a plan to open up trade routes and provide infrastructure to dozens of countries across Asia, the Middle East and Africa. The plan for China was to invest into countries that didn't have very well established economies so they could provide low cost manufacturing to the world that China used to provide before people became too wealthy. The plan was also to open up trade routes so that China had more countries to buy natural resources from and sell their export goods to. Beyond all of that, this whole project would be funded by state owned banks and development companies so it would be a useful way to spread the country's political influence around the world in, to be fair, much the same way as advanced western countries do with their multinational corporations. For over a decade now, the China National Petroleum Corporation, a Chinese state-owned oil company, has been planning to build a 600km pipeline into Niger through Chad to connect to existing pipelines in the region. This would come at a proposed cost of around 5 billion US dollars, which would let Niger export their 60,000 barrels of oil a day without any dependency on Nigeria. Unfortunately, and something that's becoming somewhat of a trend, a coup in Chad meant that this project was put on hold because of deteriorating relations between the two countries. In its place, an even more ambitious pipeline was proposed that would run from the oil fields in Niger directly to the Atlantic through Benin. This pipeline would be significantly longer and cost significantly more, but the China Petroleum Pipeline Engineering Company, a subsidiary of the China National Petroleum Company that was behind the last proposed pipeline, was still willing to fund the project. Construction has begun, but it was halted due to COVID-19, and now it's been halted again because Benin is an active member of ECOWAS, so just like Nigeria, they are also cutting the country off until their current political situation is resolved. This pipeline could move 90,000 barrels of oil a day, potentially doubling the country's exports with just one piece of infrastructure. But now it's stalled and unlikely to be resumed anytime soon while these issues play out. 
Opportunities like this with the potential to take advantage of the easy wins that could improve the quality of life of people that need it most desperately are squandered all the time, simply due to instability. Eventually, it just becomes easy to get oil from existing suppliers. But even if major global powers end up ceasing economic cooperation with Niger, it does not mean that the political situation is going to be easy to ignore. As we have seen, military coups destabilise surrounding countries and hurt their opportunities for economic development as well, which is why the existing members of ECOWAS are pushing back so hard against the new group claiming power in Niger. If this goes on, current and currently suspended members of the group are threatening to go to war with each other, which is going to be good for nobody. Even beyond additional conflicts making the whole situation in these countries even worse, it has the potential to cause a humanitarian crisis with people fleeing to Europe, which is already an issue straining relationships within the EU. The countries are also home to a long list of particularly undesirable militant groups which thrive during periods of conflict. On top of all of that, the final and perhaps most concerning global group at play in this country is the Russian mercenary organisation Wagner. Economies where the wealth of a nation is not equitably spread amongst the people of the nation are always going to have difficulties holding on to power. An easy solution for some of the region's less than democratic leaders is to pay this group to keep their country in line in exchange for natural resources. But for now, unfortunately, they may be the only people that stand to benefit anything from this. Okay, now it's time to put Niger on the Economics Explained National Leaderboard. Starting as always with size, given the country's lack of any competitive industries and mostly informal economy, it only has an output of 14.9 billion US dollars, roughly equal in size to North Korea. Even that modest figure is likely to take a significant hit in the fallout of this current unrest, but we don't have the figures for that yet, so for now, Niger gets a 3 out of 10, as one of the smallest economies in the world. That relatively small output is spread out over a population of 25.2 million people. That figure is growing rapidly as the country has one of the highest birth rates in the world, creating the opposite problem to what a lot of advanced economies have with their ageing populations. Niger has too many children to look after. Either way, that rapidly expanding population means that Niger has a GDP per capita of just $590. It's worth mentioning again that in countries this poor, GDP per capita figures can be a little bit misleading. The average person in Niger is producing more than $590 worth of value every year, but they will be producing it for themselves, their family and their villagers as informal farmers and workers that are mostly self-sufficient. GDP only gets counted on stuff produced for other people to buy, and since a lot of communities in Niger only produce stuff for themselves, a lot of production and agricultural output is not counted in this formal figure. Now despite that technicality, Niger is still a desperately poor country, so it still only gets a 0 out of 10. Stability and confidence is obviously terrible. Even Chinese state-backed foreign investment, which tends to operate in even the riskiest of regions, has struggled to develop a simple oil pipeline in the country due to constantly shifting political tensions. Since independence, the average regime has lasted less than a decade in Niger, and shifting power has often come at the expense of relations with its neighbours, to which it's almost entirely reliant for even basic services. Obviously, Niger gets a 0 out of 10. Growth has actually been quite strong in the last decade. Formal economic output has doubled as the country has maintained enough stability for mines and trade routes to be properly established. This output has also been helped by the rapidly increasing population, so growth in output per citizen is a little bit less impressive. And obviously it wasn't starting from a high benchmark, and it's unfortunately likely to be set back significantly as the current situation develops. But for now, a doubling in output in the last decade means it gets an 8 out of 10. Finally, industry. Obviously the country is desperately lacking in any kind of formal industries, and even sectors that are usually a slam dunk in normal countries like crude oil extraction 
have struggled to gain a foothold in Niger. The country gets a 2 out of 10, only scoring an extra point because it does have some natural resources. Altogether, that gives Niger an average score of just 2.6 out of 10, putting it down here on the Economics Explained National Leaderboard. Thanks for watching, mate. Bye.